0: have your Bibles turned, if you would, to Matthew chapter 5 this morning. Matthew chapter 5. It's good to be in the Lord's house, amen? Matthew chapter 5. Did you find it? Okay. We're going to read verses 1 through 5 this morning. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn for they shall be comforted. And verse number five, can we read this together? Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Heavenly Father, help us as we look into this passage of scripture this morning. I pray that you'd give us good insight and in the sermon as to what your word has to say to us this morning. Thank you for bringing us here this morning. Thank you for the health and strength and the safety that you gave us this morning, enabling us to be here. I pray for those in the Spanish department this morning, those in the junior church hour, those in the nursery as well. Pray that you would bless there in a special way. We have Brother Jeremy as he preaches this morning. Give him the worst to say. Your will be accomplished there in the Spanish department. God, I pray that you would be with those who are sick, not able to be here today. I I think of Cody Wood, that you'd be with him as he's finishing up his final treatment tomorrow. Pray that you would just give him good health and strength, and may this brain tumor be be taken care of as a result of the treatment and your healing. I pray for Clarence Kellogg, that you would give him the healing that he needs, and also Don Sigler, and God, others that are are in need of prayer, pray that you would just bless them and meet their needs. Thank you that Carolyn's able to be back with us this morning. And thank you for her and be with her in her upcoming treatments that she has and testing as well. God, we thank you once again for all that you've done, for all that you're going to do. Meet with us in a special way. As the songwriter said, all is vain unless the spirit of the Holy One come down. I pray that you'd meet with us in a special way. And when everything's said and done, may you be the one that gets the honor and glory for all that's said and done this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. If you're facing with us today, I do want you to know that you're an honored guest. We love visitors at Beth Haven Baptist Church. Hope you receive a blessing for being with us, and we would be honored to see you with us once again. So we're in the very early stages of what I am going to call the greatest message ever preached by the greatest preacher who ever lived. And uh, the greatest message, I'm going to call the Sermon on the Mount, Matthews 5, 6, and 7, and the greatest preacher, obviously, was none other than the Lord Jesus Christ, and It's interesting in verse number two, the Bible said, and he opened his mouth and taught them saying. Our our life teaches, but but oftentimes what we say carries a lot of weight as well. And here's what he said in verse three. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. We preached a couple weeks ago on happy are the humble. Then he said in verse number four, blessed are they that mourn. And last week we preached on happy are the sad. Seems like an oxymoron and, and it is from a a worldly standpoint, but not from a biblical standpoint. And on this morning, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. I would think if you were to pull the audience or if we were to maybe set up a little booth downtown Greenville or downtown Ionia and, and pull the people and say, what does it mean to be meek? Probably get some interesting answers. I will say this, by its practice, I don't think our world really practices meekness. The world's philosophy, the world's mentality is do whatever you have to do to climb the ladder of success. Step on whoever you need to step on, step on them twice if you have to. Just climb the ladder of success. But God doesn't say that. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Back in uh, one of the minor prophets, the book of Zephaniah, Zephaniah chapter and verse three, let me read this verse. The Bible says, seek ye the Lord, all ye meek of the earth, which have wrought his judgment. Seek righteousness. And then it says, seek meekness. So the Bible not only tells us or commands us to seek righteousness, it tells us to seek meekness. I uh, went back through my, uh, my notes the other day And uh, I can only find one message that I preached on meekness before. Ironically, it was from Matthew chapter 5. So it was probably the last time I preached through the book of Matthew, and it was in 2009. Um, I thought I'd preached through it again since then, but maybe not. But uh, I lose a lot of sermon notes. Pat was with me this morning, and we pulled into the prison, and my my Bible had turned over in the backseat of the truck, and when I opened it up, about seven or eight of my pages of my sermon notes went out all over the ground and it was all wet and it was pavement and I got all of them except three that went underneath my truck and uh, I think I salvaged them, but uh, I don't know if I'll be able to decipher them very well when we get done, but it's okay. It's just a sermon note. But uh, I, I thought, well, fortunately, that wasn't anything I was preaching on this morning, but uh, if it was, you know, God knows best, so we'll just leave it in his hands. But uh, so I was looking at my sermon notes on meekness and I said to myself, that is not an easy topic to preach on. In fact, I have four thoughts this morning, and uh, this could be one of my shortest messages on record. It probably won't be, but it could be. <laughs> so, if I was to define meekness, or, or or the thought of being meek, the best I can come up with is it means to be gentle, to be humble, to be lowly, to be patient and to be submissive. Can I say that again? Gentle, humble, lowly, patient, and submissive. As I thought about the the definition of meekness, I I was reminded that some words are easier to describe than they're to define, if that makes sense. In fact, I, I, I was reading one pastor, and he said that humility... Is not something we pull together on our own. He said humility is the result of drawing closer to Christ. And I thought, you know, there's a lot of truth to that. The Bible says in James, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to thee. And I, I think meekness is, is kind of one of those characteristics that the, the, the closer we get to Christ, if we're going to be come like in his image and in his likeness, then meekness is one of those characteristics or attributes that we are going to see in our own life. So let me describe meekness. Some people describe meekness as weakness. Have you ever heard that? It's actually the opposite of that. It's not weakness, rather it's strength under control. I'm told that a a horse, if a horse knew its own strength, there's not too many fences that could keep a horse within a corral or within a fence that uh, they're, they're much stronger than they think that, than they really realize that they are, and almost like an, an elephant. They say with, with baby elephants that they'll take them, and if they're in captivity, they'll wrap a, a little rope around its foot, and they'll, they'll put it into a stake, and they'll drive that stake into the ground, and that little baby elephant will stu- tug, and tug and tug and tug and tug and tug at that rope, and it'll finally realize it's no use. I can't break free. And they say the rest of his life, you can put a rope around its foot. You don't even have to tie it to anything, and it thinks it's in captivity. Um, I, would give, uh, I, I would give credit to that statement when uh, Madison was probably five or six years old, maybe, maybe even four years old. As you're coming down M91, just as you get to Candlestone Golf Course, if you turn left right there onto Ellis Avenue, they're putting in a little subdivision right there on the right, just as you turn that corner. But uh, years ago, it came out on the Daily News that they were going to have a circus. Circus was coming to Belding, and uh, they were going to have elephants literally pull the big, you know, the big uh, tent up and the big um, poles that were going to support it. They were going to use elephants to do that. And so I said to Tammy or to Madison, I said, hey, let's go watch this when they do this. And so uh, we did, and uh, I was amazed. We actually touched the elephants that were pulling up these big poles. They said, just, you know, stand in front and, you know, don't, you know, stay there forever, but you can pet it, touch it, you know. And then we looked over, and the, the tiger cage was right there, and the tigers were sitting right inside the cage. You could have reached your hand in there if you wanted to do. I just got my pinky in there, and uh, I said, you know what? <laughs> They're a little hungrier than I thought, so uh, I'll, uh, I'll keep the rest of my hand. And when I pulled it back, at least I kept four and a half fingers. No, I'm just kidding, but anyways. Um, and I, I watched these animals, and I, and I said to myself, this is absolutely crazy that these animals that could stampede and, and, and I don't know, cause all kinds of damage were just as pliable and, and just as workable as two little puppies would be. And there, there's huge elephants. They've got these, these ropes tied around their neck, and they would just kind of have these little whips and hit them on the back, and they would just move, and as they did, that pole came all the way up, and I thought, man, that is absolutely awesome. So meekness is not weakness. It is strength under control. Meekness is not selfish. Meekness is not vindictive. Meekness does not retaliate nor demand its rights, does not defend itself or exalt itself. Meekness, I was reminded this week, is not a biological condition, it's a spiritual condition. I'm convinced of that. Number next. Meekness is not just to be seen outward, it's also inward. Now, this is where the rubber hits the road. Meekness is a disposition towards those who have hurt us. Wow. This is the part of the message where I'd like to just push it to the side. <laughs> Meekness is the disposition we have towards those who have hurt us. See, when when the Bible talks about our Christianity and how we reflect Christ, that's when our true reflection is is shown and is seen. It's when we respond to people who have hurt us. And meekness reveals that. Number next, meekness is patient with those that insult us. Meekness accepts instruction from other godly Christians. Meekness is yieldedness to God's will. What it boils down to, it's really patience, endurance, and obedience to God. Jesus, so, Pastor, what are you saying? Well, so Jesus said, blessed are the meek. I'm convinced as you look at these beatitudes, there's there's eight. Some people say there's nine, but probably closer to eight. I think the last two are kind of two of the same. They might be a little different, but they're very closely related. So the first one being that of being poor in spirit, of being humble. Then the second one that we looked at last week, not only being poor in spirit, but those that mourn, those that are, are brokenhearted over their sin, those that see a need to repent and to continue to repent. And then this morning, those that are meek. And I think you can see that there's a progression here, and I think as we, as we venture into this journey, if we'd be honest with ourselves, I think it gets a little bit more difficult as we take one step after the next. Humility, mourning, and then meekness. So I want to use four biblical examples of what I believe would, would display or demonstrate what meekness is. We can define it. We can describe it. But I I think it's best seen if if we can actually see it in the pages of Scripture. So if you have your Bible this morning, turn to Numbers chapter 12. This might be more of like a a Wednesday night Bible study, maybe than a a Sunday morning message. Um, All I know is I just have a truth I have to deliver this morning. So I'm not sure how it's going to be delivered. We'll figure it out somewhere between here and 1245. Oh, good. A few of you are still listening. Numbers chapter 12. Very common passage of scripture, starting in verse number one, and Miriam and Aaron spake against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married. For he had married an Ethiopian woman. Most people are familiar with that. Moses married an Ethiopian woman. And um, verse number two, and they said, hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Hath he not spoken also by us? And the Lord heard it. Now, the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. Okay, so is that verse not telling us that Moses was the meekest man, at least that was alive at this time? Moses was a meek man. Moses was very meek. He has an older sister named Miriam, as you will know. He has an older brother named Aaron, as you well know. And they began to rebuke him, if you will, and began to put him down for the fact that he had married this Ethiopian woman. Now, there's a couple things that that could fall into play here. Number one, I don't know where Zipporah is at this point. The Bible doesn't say that she's passed away, to my knowledge. So some say that he was marrying a second wife. Some say that it was because she was of a different race. And so there's a lot of maybe controversy over what exactly the reason for this rebuking was. But for whatever reason, whether they were coming at Moses because Zipporah was still in the picture, whether they're coming at Moses because of the race of Zipporah, here's what I want you to see in verse number four. And the Lord spake suddenly unto Moses and unto Aaron and unto Miriam. Come out, ye three, into the tabernacle of the congregation. And they three came out. And the Lord came down in the pillar of the cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam. And they both came forth and he said... Hear now my words if there be a prophet among you I the Lord will make myself known unto him in a vision and will make myself and will speak unto him in a dream my servant Moses is not so who was faithful in all mine house God said if, if there's a prophet among you God said I'll send him a vision I'll send him a dream'll I'll communicate with him and he'll know exactly the word that I want him to deliver but he said Moses is not so look at verse 8 with him will I speak mouth to mouth, even apparently and not in dark speeches. And the simility of the Lord shall he behold. Wherefore then were ye not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. Now here's what's interesting. Moses was rebuked by Miriam and Aaron, his brother and sister, And they're rebuking him because of this Ethiopian woman that he had taken to be his wife. And whether it was because Zipporah was or wasn't dead, whether it was because it was the race that she was from, or whether it was some completely different reason, we don't really know. Moses did not defend himself. The Lord did. Moses didn't speak up and say, hey, what I do is my business and you just leave it alone. It's none of your business, um, Aaron. It's none of your business, Miriam. He didn't do that. He didn't defend himself. He didn't vindicate himself. The Lord did. It kind of reminds me of Exodus 14, 14, when Moses said, the Lord shall fight for you and ye shall hold your peace. Let's keep reading verse 10. And the cloud departed from off the tabernacle and behold, Miriam became leprous, white as snow. And Aaron looked upon Miriam and behold, she was leprous. And Aaron said unto Moses, alas, my Lord. (laughs) Isn't it interesting when people all of a sudden become respectful? A few minutes ago, he was willing to throw him under the bus. It didn't matter. Hey, what are you doing marrying this woman? And all of a sudden, he sees what's happened as a result of, of his rebuke, and he's calling him his Lord. I beseech thee, let the sin upon us, whereupon we have done foolishly, and wherein we have sinned, Let her not be as one dead, of whom the flesh is half consumed, when he cometh out of his mother's womb. And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, Heal her now, O God, I beseech thee. You know what meekness is? Meekness is our disposition towards those who harm us. It's it's our reaction or response to those that would would hurt us or insult us or injure us. And and the first thing out of Moses' mouth was this. Heal her now, O God, I beseech thee. He didn't say, you know, God, I think she deserves that. In fact, could you let some of it spread to Aaron? Just saying. God, could you you somehow inflict Aaron? He kind of seems like the scapegoat at this point. No, no, he said, heal her now, O God, I beseech thee. And the Lord said unto Moses, if her father had but spit in her face, should she not be ashamed seven days? Let her be shut out from the camp seven days, and after that, let her be received in again. And Miriam was shut out from the camp seven days, and the people journeyed not till Miriam was brought in again. Pesco, what are you saying? I'm saying that is meekness on display. Here's Moses doing his best to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. They're now in the the process of the 40-year wilderness wanderings. And if you thought somebody had a difficult job, I've never heard of one preacher, Brother Wenger, say, boy, I wish I could trade places with Moses for those 40 years in the wilderness. I mean, in fact, what a group of griping, complaining, unthankful, ungrateful people. And now as if he's not having to deal with everybody else, now he's got to deal with his own family members, his own brother and sister. They rebuke him for taking this Ethiopian woman to be his wife, but uh, God stepped in. Do you know what meekness does? Meekness waits for God to step in. Do you know think far too many times we try to do? We try to take matters into our own hands. We have a tendency to give people a piece of our mind rather than just stepping back and saying, God, I'm just going to leave this in your hands. And Moses did, and God did. And it's interesting that in this passage, in verse number three, now the man Moses was very make up of all the men which were upon the face of the earth. I'm gonna to go to, to Numbers chapter 20. And I'm gonna start in verse number seven. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, take the rod and gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak ye unto the rock before their eyes. And they shall give forth this water, and thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock, so shalt thou give the congregation and there be strength. And Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock, and he said unto them, here now, ye rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock. Uh-oh. Um, we just read in chapter 12 that Moses was the meekest man more than all the men on the earth. And he's standing there before the rock. And the people are complaining because they're thirsty. They're in to drink. And why did God bring us out here? We remember the leeks and the onions and the garlic and all the things that we enjoyed when we were in Egypt. And, I mean, it was just like a party time. It was like a vacation. No, it really wasn't. They were bondslavents and bondservants. And not only were they getting whipped and beat, but they increased their, their tail of bricks that they had to make. And then they had to cut down their own straw. And there was no straw to be found in all the coast of Egypt. Their job got harder and harder and harder. But isn't it not amazing how easily and how quickly we forget how things really used to be? And Moses now is not reflecting his meekness. And he said, here now, you rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand. And with his rod, he smoked the rock twice. And the water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their beasts also. The Lord speak unto Moses and Aaron, because ye believed me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore ye shall not bring this congregation to land which I have given them. Does, does that not seem like a relatively small issue? And all the 40 years that Moses dealt with the nation of Israel, all the murmuring, the complaining, going to God and asking for, for meat and for quail and for something rather than manna and for all the times that they wanted water and all the times that they needed healing from the snakes that bit them because of of their murmuring and their complaining. And it just seemed like Moses is just going back to God on behalf of the nation of Israel over and over and over again. And now all of a sudden we're in a situation where he'd already smote the rock once. And God said, I don't want you to hit it the second time. I just want you to speak to the rock the second time. I think I mentioned this a few weeks ago. It's because the rock was a picture of Christ. And when when God has a picture in the Old Testament that's representing something in the New Testament, God was very, very concerned that those pictures not be messed up. And Moses messed this picture up, this picture of Christ, because Christ was to be smitten once, not twice. And we would look at this, and how many times do you say, Pastor, that really isn't a big deal. Hitting the rock rather than speaking the rock. The big deal was that's not what God told him to do. The big deal was disobedience is disobedience, whether it seems big or whether it seems small. So I'm saying that to say this. If we're not careful, something that might be a strength today could become a weakness tomorrow. I was talking with somebody years ago, and they said, Pastor Crowell, they said, "I, I had this area in my life that was such a strong area that I kind of neglected it and I didn't really pray about it, didn't really concern myself with it. And he said, little did I know that the devil was just using that to set me up for a fall. And he said, the area that I fell in was an area that used to be my strength and now my strength has become my weakness. Can I say this? Meekness wasn't weakness in the life of Moses. But his meekness became a weakness because he just forgot to obey God. See, if you remember the last definition I gave or description I gave for meekness, it's patience, it's endurance, and it's obedience to God. And maybe, maybe Moses thought, you know what, I can, I can trip this one time and I can disobey this one time and it won't be that big of a deal because I've got all these different opportunities where I've obeyed God and look at these, all, all these merits that have piled up. Can I say this? I don't believe God works on a merit-demerit system. I believe God works on an obedience disobedience system. And I don't think our obedience stored up bails us out when we disobey tomorrow. I don't think God says, oh, Pastor Crow, you've been a pastor for 27 years. Sure, you can do this and this and this, and I'll just turn, the, turn just a, a blank eye, and I'll just, I'll just turn the other way. No, I don't think God does it at all. And God's not obligated to do that at all. And here's Moses, the meekest man that ever lived. How how interesting that in chapter 12, it's a strength. And in chapter 20, it's become his weakness. I'm going to go to 1 Samuel chapter 18 quickly. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse number three. Saul was the first king of Israel although it wasn't God's will or God's choice, he was the people's choice because God wanted to be their king, but they didn't want God to be their king. So Samuel thought, well, I'll, I'll let my two sons be judges so in my, my absence they can at least continue the the, the 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 rule of the judges. And God said, no, no, that's not going to work either. And the people didn't want them because they had taken bribes and, and they weren't of the same character and of the same cloth that, that Samuel was. And so God said, give them what they want. They want a king, give them a king. So they gave him Saul. And you know the story because of, of Saul's disobedience and, 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 and God said, I'm gonna take the king away from Saul. I'm gonna give it to one better than he that was referring to David. But I want you to look at 1 Samuel chapter 18 and verse number three. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul, verse four. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David and his garments, even to his sword, and to his bow, and to his girdle. Saul was the king, and, and Jonathan probably thought, you know, maybe there's a possibility with my father being the king, and, you know, I'm I'm the eldest of my father's sons, that I would have an opportunity to be the next king of Israel. When Jonathan found out that, that David was anointed to be the next king of Israel, even though he was in the king's house, and part of the king's family, and, maybe even part of the hierarchy in his own mind. Here's what he did. He took his robe that was on him and he gave it to David and his garments and his sword and his bow and his girdle. You know what he did? He displayed meekness. He said, David, I know that God has called you to this position and my job is to support that decision. My job is to come alongside of you and encourage you. And I know my father's trying to kill you. My father's trying to call you all kinds of hurt and all kinds of damage. But he said, I understand what God's will and what God's desire is. And I know that you are God's man. You're to be the next king of Israel. And he said, I want you to understand. He said, I will not stand in your way. Here's my robe. Here's my bow. Here's my sword. Here's my girdle. Here's all of my royal clothing. David, I want you to understand that I am only here to support you. Five chapters later, in chapter 23, and verse number 17, Jonathan speaking to David, and he said unto him, Fear not, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find thee. And thou shalt be king over Israel, and I shall be next unto thee, and that also Saul my father knoweth. He said, he said to Jonathan, he said, I want you, or Jonathan said to David, he said, I want you to understand. He said that when you become the king, he said, I am going to be next unto thee. Oh, I don't want your job. I don't want your position. I don't want your title. I don't want your responsibility. I just want you to know that I have your back and I'm going to support you and I'm going to be the best friend that you're, you've ever had. And I want you to know, even though my father ha- has been a, a difficult person in your life, I am going to be just the opposite. You know what Jonathan revealed? His meekness. I'm going to go to 2 Samuel chapter 16. David had just been run off the throne by Absalom. David was probably in the lowest part of his life. I I can't imagine the, the hurt and the pain, the embarrassment, the agony when when David began to leave the city of Jerusalem, literally running for his life, and his, his followers and his, his choice men and their families literally were running for their life. And David probably felt that all this responsibility was on his shoulders, and he looked at the man that ran him off the kingship, and that was his own son Absalom. And in 2 Kings 16, verse 5, it says, When King David came to Bahurim, behold, there came thence a man of, of, of the family of the house of Saul whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera? he came forth and cursed still as he came. And he cast stones at David, and at all the servants of King David, and all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. And thus said Shimei, when he cursed, come out, come out, thou bloody man, and thou man of Belial. The Lord hath returned upon thee, all the blood of the house of Saul, and stead thou hast reigned. And the Lord hath delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom, thy son, and behold, thou art taken in thy mischief. behold, thou art a bloody man. Can I say this? You better be careful who you throw stones at. Shimei, I thought he had the upper hand at this point, And Shimei, I thought, you know what? David's at his low point. I can throw stones at him. He's run, been run off the, 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 the throne. And you know what? Rightly so. You're a bloody man, King David. And you've killed a lot of people needlessly and mercilessly. And you are just getting what has already been coming to you. And you're getting, you, you made your bed, David. You're going to sleep in it. And said, Abishai, the son of Zariah, unto the king. Why should this dead dog curse my lord, the king? Let me go over, I pray thee, and take off his head. I'm just maybe speaking out of turn here, but I think that's deacon material right there. He said, who is this guy? We're we're just going to sit by and let him run his mouth like that? And listen to what David said in verse 10. And the king said, what have I had to do with you, ye sons of Zariah? So let him curse. You know what David said? Just, just let him be. David said, Abishai, I, I, I appreciate your courage and I appreciate your, your willingness to stand for me and thank you for defending me and I appreciate that. But he said, Abishai, he said, just, just let him curse. I've got far bigger issues than Shimeon. My my heart is ripped out of my chest, not only because of the nation of Israel, but the man that ran me off of that is my own son. I I, I feel like not only have I failed as a king, but I feel like even in a greater way I failed as a father. And and the one that ran me off my own throne is my own flesh and blood. And I think when David looked at, at Shimei, he probably had every right within him to say, hey, go ahead, Abishai, just take his head off and let it be done. But he said, no, he said, just let him curse. Why? Because David wanted to display and demonstrate meekness. Can I say this? I'll be honest with you. I think humility is easier to come across than meekness. I think mourning for our sin is easier to maybe come to grips with than than meekness. Because I would think if I was in David's place and if, if I'm in the lowest part of my life and I'm, I'm leaving the city of Jerusalem and I believe he was barefoot at this time and he's weeping and he's, he's moaning the fact that he not only is, is longer king, but he was ran out by his own son. And I think he's trying to come to grips with that. And then as if it's not bad enough, his men are walking on either side of this and Shimei comes right through the middle. And he's throwing not only rocks at David, but even his men. And how easy it would have been for David to say, Abishai, take his head off now. But he said, no. Just let him go. Just let him curse. There's one more I want to show you in 1 Peter chapter 2. First 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21, the Bible says, For even hereunto were be you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example. These should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Who his own self bare our sins, and his own body on a tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were sheep going astray, but I now return unto the Shepherd and Bishop of your souls. You know what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11. He said, "Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in spirit." Do you realize the Bible says that when he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not but committed himself to him that judges right, righteously, who his own shall bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live under righteousness by whose stripes you real. Pastor Crow, what are you saying? I'm saying if, if Moses could display and demonstrate meekness, if Jonathan could display and demonstrate meekness, if David could display and demonstrate meekness, and clearly the Lord Jesus Christ did, I wonder if God's looking for people today to be meek, to demonstrate meekness. But we we live in a day and age where people are demanding their rights. We we live in a day of, of absolutely high expectations. And yet I think meekness says, that's not what my life is about. That's not what my agenda is about. And I I look at Moses and I look at Jonathan and I look at David and I say to myself, I think what God's looking for today is a group of people that understand what meekness is all about. It's not compromise. It's not just letting, K Sarah, Sarah, whatever will be, will be. No, no. It's saying, you know what, based on the word of God, I'm gonna take my stand but I'm going to do so with the right spirit. I'm going to to do my best to maintain the right standards, but I'm going to do my best not to look down at others who don't have that same standard. And I'm going to recognize that, that I'm only responsible for one person. As pastor, I'm only responsible for one ministry. I had somebody, a preacher call me the other day, and he said, hey, brother, he said, hey, this guy is going off the rails. He said, somebody needs to straighten him out. And I said... You do whatever you want. But I said, I'm just going to keep him on my prayer list and let God straighten him out. He says, brother, I think think we could help this guy out. I said, well, why don't you help him out for the both of us? I said, because God didn't call me here to be some type of pastoral police force. I'm just trying to police me. I'm just trying to keep Kevin Crow from going off the rails. And I, I fear so many times that we spend so much time, effort, and energy trying to straighten everybody else out. How much bread would we be if we just tried to keep ourselves straightened out? I have people call me, they're so consumed and caught up with everybody else's life. I know, shame on them for putting on Facebook how many rolls of toilet paper they bought this week. I understand. I, I, we feel like some people just have to share everything with the world. That's why I don't have a Facebook page. For one, I don't even have time. I can barely return my text sometimes. I me this Brother Crowell, Pastor Crowell, I, I texted you two days ago, and you haven't texted me back yet. I'll get to it. I'll get to it. The rapture hasn't happened yet. I'll get to it. I mean, some people, sometimes, you know, somebody will text me. I got a text from Jeremy Austin this morning. He said, "Pastor, can we use the van this morning? I was on my way to, to prison with, with Pat, and I, I thought, you know what? I'll, as soon as they get to prison, I'll text him back, and I... I didn't text while I drove, and so I waited until we got there, and I sent him a text, and then I lost all my sermon notes, but it's a different story. But uh, I I texted him, I said, absolutely fine, he's on my desk. Sometimes you catch me at the right time, sometimes you might not, but but can I say this? If we're not careful, we get so caught up and consumed with what everybody else is doing, and the devil's doing such a good job of getting our eyes off where they should be, and that's on our own life. You know what meekness does? Meekness says, I don't have time to worry about that preacher but I've got enough time to worry about this one. You follow me? I don't have enough time to try to figure out what direction every other church is going, but, but, but I better make sure that this church keeps going in the right direction. You follow me? That, to me, that's what meekness is. Meekness is, is, if you could, staying in your own lane, figuring out where God put you, and just stay there until God switches lanes, and then, then you, you switch lanes, but until just keep going in the direction God wanted you to go in. You say, well, Pastor, I, how is it if, if, if meekness is so important, if the Bible says, blessed are the meek, happy are the meek, for they shall How in the world do you develop meekness? Thanks for asking. I'll give you three thoughts and I'm done. Number one, I'm convinced it all starts. Let me find the verse I'm looking for. No, nope, other way. According to James chapter one and verse number 21, it all starts when we devote ourselves to the word of God. Listen to this in James 1.21. Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Pastor Crow, how is it that, that a Christian in 2023, soon to be 2024, can develop meekness? I'm convinced if we devote ourselves to the word of God, And we receive the word of God with meekness. There are people that, some people receive the word of God with with a spirit of antagonism. And they're wanting to argue about this and argue about that. And, oh, I don't don't agree about this. And I don't see it this way. You know, the Bible says that we ought to receive it with meekness. And say, God, if if this is your word, I'm just going to accept it for what it says. I don't want to argue about it. I don't have to fight about it. I uh, said somebody the other day, they said, you're King James only, aren't you? I said, yes, but I said, I'm not angry about it. And I'm not. I, 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 know, I know guys used to use the King James and now they use the ESV. I've never called one of them and said, brother, you're not right with God. You're going to hell because you're using the wrong version of the Bible. I've never done that one time. Can I tell you why? It's not my job. It's not my job. Do you know what my job is? Just make sure I keep reading my King James Bible. See, we, we sometimes put ourselves on a pedestal where we don't even belong. It's not my place to straighten everybody else in this world. My job is just to do what God wants me to do right here. I, I am so glad that as an independent pastor, I am not part of an association. I am just thrilled for that. I was talking with the guy the other day. He said, well, he said, I'm involved in an association. But he said, man, I sure don't like it. I said, yeah, my dad was involved one, too, and he didn't like it either. And then he, went, he became an independent Baptist, and I said he was never so happy in his whole life. He said, oh, your dad? Yeah, my dad was part of an association, and I said it was crazy. It just got absolutely crazy. But, uh, church, can I say this? You know what meekness does? Meekness says, I'm just going to focus on what God wants me to focus on. I'm just going to devote myself to God's word, and I'm going to receive God's word with meekness. I don't want to fight over everything and argue over everything. Just study it out. Get yourself a a good concordance, a good strong concordance, and just just take the word of God and and see exactly what it has to say and receive it with, with meekness. Pastor, how did I develop meekness? Devote yourself to the word of God. Number two, can I say this? Depend on the Holy Spirit of God. Remember when Jesus left to be with God the Father in heaven, he said, I will not leave you comfortless. He said, I will, I will send you, and he used this phrase, another comforter. So their comforter up to that point was Jesus, and Jesus said, My Father is going to send another comforter, which is the Holy Ghost. And my Bible says in Galatians 5, 16, this I say then, walk in the spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You say, My scroll, how do I, how can I develop meekness? By depending on the Holy Spirit of God. Because when we get a few verses later in that chapter, in verses 22 and 23, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness. Meekness. Did you, you knew that meekness was a fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit only comes when the Holy Spirit has the liberty to work in our lives and through our lives for God's honor and glory. And when we let the Holy Spirit work in our life, do you know what he's gonna produce? Specifically, meekness. I know, it's a difficult scenario. If we don't have meekness, it's probably a sign that The Holy Spirit's not working on our life like he wants to. I'm not not saying it's an evidence of your salvation, but I will say this. If it's an evidence of what the Holy Spirit can do and can't do in your life, and he wants to produce meekness in your life, He wants to change the way we act towards other people and treat other people and talk to other people and talk about other people. And how he's going to do that is by establishing and displaying and demonstrating and developing meekness in our life. Brother Bergen, I don't don't think there's a day that goes by that I'll be driving down the road. Usually it happens when I'm driving to my house late at night, whenever I get to my house. And it's like, Conversations will start running through my head. And I'll say, okay, I had a conversation with this person. Did it go well? Did I say the right thing? Oh, I had a conversation with this person. Did I do the right thing? Did I say the right thing? Oh, I had a conversation with Tammy. Did I say the right thing? Was I kind to my own wife? Because sometimes we can be nice to everybody else and take it out on our spouses. Guilty. But you know, God doesn't want me just to be meek with y'all, He wants me to be meek with Tammy. Because that matters too. She told me years ago, she said, if I ever lose respect for you and I can't sit down in the front row, she said, you might find me back there somewhere. And she said, You'll know why. And I thank God for that. Because I've watched far too many pastors' wives sit on the front row knowing that their preacher, their their husband, their pastor was a lying no good for nothing, piece of trash. And I'm speaking very well of what I know I'm speaking about. Being a pastor does not exempt you from anything. If anything, God raises the standard just a little bit and said, here's what I expect out of you, Kevin Kroll. And I don't just expect you to be meek with these people. better be meek with your wife, with Madison, Jenna, Julia, with Jesse, with Daniel, with Drew, with Maverick and Clark. They're the easiest ones to be meet with. <laughs> man, watch my budget, because those boys are coming to town in a couple weeks. I saw something in um, TJ Maxx the other day for $300, and I almost paid for it without even thinking about it. And Tim was like, look, we've already spoiled them. I said, you know what? Let's just spoil them some more. I didn't buy it yet, but it's still been in the back of my head, and I'm like, man. It's two little guys who just get wrapped around your finger. Maybe I should wrap them around my pinky. That won't be quite as expensive. <laughs> Meekness. See, what, what, what God's looking for is a people that don't just say they're Christians, but show that they're Christians. Talk that way. Treat people that way. Moses didn't say about himself that he was the meekest man that lived. That's what God said about Moses. Oh, I've heard people claim their own meekness, but that's not what God's looking for. Just let God declare your meekness and you just keep working on it. By allowing the Holy Spirit to work that fruit in your life. Pastor, how how, how do we develop meekness? I'm convinced we've got to be devoted to the word of God and receive it with meekness. We've got to depend on the Holy Spirit of God. And then last but not least, I'll close with this. We need need to use discernment when it comes to our own circumstances in life. I think God brings things our way sometimes just as a test to see how we're going to respond, how we're going to react. A couple months ago, back in May, I was coming home from a Tiger game and I was with Josh Sackett, and I dropped him off, or he dropped me off. He drove my truck. He parked at the Super 8 Motel right on the corner of 96 and, and, and M66, and so he just dropped me off. I got in my truck, and I drove about three miles right there to, uh, is that Davis Highway, I think it is, Davis Highway and M66, and stopped at the stoplight, minding my own business, and, you know, it was probably 10 o'clock at night, had a good time at the game with Josh, and Josh just a great kid. We had a good time, and... Um, all of a sudden, something hit me in the back end, and I thought i got hit by a freight train. The lady hit me in a Honda Civic and uh, pushed me about 60 feet all the way through the intersection, and I almost hit a vehicle in front of me, and she ended up totaling out my truck. And I got out of my vehicle. I pulled it over the side of the road, and I got out of my vehicle, and this lady said, uh, Sir, you were in my way. <laughs> <laughs> I said... Yeah, funny thing, when you're stopped at an intersection, sometimes that happens when the person behind you apparently didn't even touch their brake. And I could tell after about that part of the conversation that she was drunk out of her mind. She probably didn't even know who she was. And I felt like the Holy Spirit said, you better be kind. You better use some meekness. So I said, ma'am, I've called the police. I'll just wait for the police to come. And she said, well, I'm not waiting. And she took off and They found her, they brought her back. I wonder sometimes if God doesn't cause things to happen just to remind us how we're going to react and respond. In Genesis chapter 50, Joseph's father, Jacob, had passed away. His brothers came to him. The Bible says his brethren came and fell down at his feet and said, behold, we be thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, fear not, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good. To bring to pass that as, as it is this day, to save much people alive. Now therefore, fear you not, I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. Do you, know you know what Joseph did? He used discernment towards his circumstances. And when his brothers came to him and said, hey, look, dad's dead. And dad told us on his deathbed, hey, make sure that Joseph still offers forgiveness to you. And make sure that he doesn't hold this against you and mistreat you now that I'm out of the way. And so they come to Joseph and he says, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. He said, I'm not in the place of God. He said, I've I've looked at my life and I've looked at this whole scenario. And he said, I know what you did. You meant for evil. But he said, God meant it unto good. And you no doubt looked at the people and said, to save all these people alive. That, that's why God sent me before you. He, he sent me there to preserve you, to preserve this family, to preserve the nation of Israel. God had a bigger plan than what you had, and even a bigger plan than what I had. And this is all of God. And the Bible said that he spake kindly to them, and he come. You know, he probably could have said, yeah, you're right. I am in the place of God now. And every one of you are going to die before this day is over. But that wasn't in Joseph's heart. Can I tell you why? Because God had put meekness in there. And Joseph said, I I know what you did, and and I know you meant it for evil. But he said, God used it for good. Look at at what God's done. Look at how God's blessed all of us. And somehow, some way, Joseph was able to look at a situation that put him in prison for a couple of years, that separated him from his father for many years and separated him from Benjamin for many years. It never seemed like he ever spent another day living in Canaan again. He was separated from his homeland and from those that he loved for years. But he said, this is all God's plan. You know what I believe God's looking for today? his people, with a spirit of meekness. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Heavenly Father, help us today. God, this is one of those messages and it's easier to put on paper and even think about than it is to preach about. I don't know if I conveyed my thought this morning, but I, I just felt compelled to, Define meekness, to describe meekness, to look at some Bible examples of those who displayed meekness, but to encourage your people to allow the Holy Spirit of God to develop it. God, may we be so devoted to your word and may we receive the word with meekness that's able to save our souls. May we be devoted to your word. May we depend upon the Holy Spirit of God to produce the fruit of meekness in our life. We can tell people anything we want, but when the pressure comes and when the stressful times come and the difficult times come, what's inside is going to come to the surface. And we can paint a good testimony and we can make things look good and sound good, but eventually what's really there is going to come. I pray when it does, there'll be some meekness there. God, help us to recognize that if we're going to develop meekness, not only must we be devoted to your word and must we be dependent upon the Holy Spirit, but I think we're going to have to look at our own circumstances and use the discernment that Joseph did to say you all didn't mean it this way, but, but God sure did. And somehow when he was given the opportunity to bring up those hurtful memories once again, they were just pushed to the side because of his meekness. I think if there's a need of the hour today, God is for a spirit of meekness. We can boast about ourselves and brag about ourselves, but really the only person that we have to boast or brag on is you. The only good within anybody inside this auditorium is not what we've put there, God, but it's what you've put there. Remind us that it really does matter what we allow the Holy Spirit to do in our life when it comes to meekness. Because happy are the meek. Because they're the ones that are going to inherit the earth. Remind us of that today. God, if there's one person in your day that doesn't know you as their personal Savior, I pray that today would be their day of salvation. God, speak to their heart this morning. And if they have no hope that heaven would be their home, may today be their day of salvation. Holy Spirit, would, would you remind them even as they're sitting in this auditorium right now? The Bible doesn't say today is the day of salvation. It says now is the day of salvation. May they not put it off another hour, another day, another week, another month. But if they're not saved, may they put their faith and trust in you and do it even right now. Bless our invitation. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your word in Jesus' name.